0: that we've got company hello what's that adolescent human female origins uncertain
1: my name's Omega I was wondering when you guys would come back
0: you know who we are
1: Hunter echo tech wrecker and crosshair you' climb force 99.
0: What are you doing on Camino, kid?
2: Her job. Of course. She is my medical assistant, one with a curious mind that causes her to wander.
0: Well, what do you think? I thought this place could feel more like a home.
1: It's perfect. Thank you, Rica.
0: Oh, <laughs> it was nothing.
1: Never had my
0: own room before. Well, you're part of this squad now, too.
2: Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello everyone, and welcome back to an exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 437, The Bad Batch. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me... The hunter to my echo, we've got Carl Leclaire. Oh. Echo, 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 echo. Oh, I love Hunter. Thank you for letting me be
1: the uh, the coolest character in my opinion on Bad Batch. Um, echo is pretty great too, <laughs> but I've definitely got such a soft spot for for Hunter. Um, Jason, we are we're like that. We're like my. Small little hometown in upstate New York that's always just a little late with the trends. So obviously, Bad Batch wrapped a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes, and you had yet to really watch it, so you sat down and kind of basically binged it the last couple of weeks. If I, th- I so, yeah, I did. we're we're excited to kind of just look back on the season as a whole and talk about the things we really liked and the the big questions we have floating around in our our in our helmets <laughs> as the, the season yeah. wrapped um but yeah um jason i'm excited to have this conversation
2: i'm very excited too like I, the season ended and i still hadn't watched an episode of it yet so for whatever reason i i just i never got around to it and then the the fact that the first episode was you know three times as long as any other episode kind of um it wasn't something i i wanted to just like Throw on in the background because I wanted to be able to pay attention to it. Um, so I, it just took me a bit to finally make the decision to sit down and actually watch it. Um, and I watched it uh, up in Phoenix because I visited uh, Kyle Baca for um, the weekend. And uh, he and I started the series. I mean, he'd already watched it at least once, every episode <laughs> at least once, probably at least yeah. twice. Um, Well, Kyle, I hadn't seen it. Yeah.
1: Kyle was doing a podcast with obviously two of our friends, Mike Cohen and Joe Hogan. They, the three of them were doing (laughs) a, a weekly uh, episode by episode review podcast. Um, So I'm sure Kyle was taking in a lot of bad, bad (laughs) batch.
2: I'm sure he was, and he's definitely a fan of it. And I, we watched about half of the season um, over the course of, that night <laughs> and and the next morning before I had to leave. Um, so yeah, and then I finished it the following week uh, at home. So I'm very much caught up in, on the whole Bad Batch now, and I'm very excited to finally be able to talk about it. So
1: Yeah, and, and obvious, it, obviously there's going to be lots of spoilers ahead. I mean, we're going to talk about anything and everything from the season. So if you've not yet seen season one of Bad Batch, I would recommend coming back after you've seen it or else prepare to be spoiled. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, no, Jason, I actually, that's really, I actually really like that. Uh, you started watching it by binging half of it with Kyle. Cause you know, sometimes that's how I've been with certain star Wars things is like, ah, oh, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. And then you kind of get to experience it with someone else and notably someone who also really loves it. And I imagine Kyle really loves bad batch. Cause clone wars is definitely kyle's jam um so yeah like that's that's really great that that's kind of what got you into it because i mean all those weeks we you and i were recording it was like oh have you watched it yet you're like no i haven't gotten to it yet and i was like all right well we'll talk about it when you have (laughs) so yep um and i'll and obviously yeah and i may have said this at some point when the show started but this was one show i had literally zero interest in you know before it came out and then that first episode Mm -hmm. i did a complete 180 i'm like this show's great and as it stands, like as a, as a full season, um, there are definitely some filler episodes, in my opinion, that I, I wasn't crazy about. But we had lots of filler episodes in Clone Wars and Rebels, especially in Rebels, in my opinion. But, um, uh, yeah, I like I also think 13 episodes is a really good length. You know, I mean, that's that's several months as you spread them out over the weeks. But it's also like if you want to go back and rewatch it, it's it's less of a haul.
2: Well, this was 16, so... Oh, it, oh that's um, right.
1: Darn it. Why did I think 13? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it's because I 13 think 13 right. would be a better
2: number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: You could easily cut three episodes <laughs> from this this season, then it would, it would have been a much tighter season. But <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I think, and also, like, that's the thing. I was watching some of the episodes today uh, over again, um, and, you know, there was a couple that I'm like... Yeah, this was definitely a filler, but I understand why it's there, you know, so. Um, but that said, we're here to talk about what we loved most about the season. Um, but before we do, we have a very quick poll to go over because there, there wasn't a tremendous response to this. Um, but we asked all of you uh, in light of Riley being with us a couple of weeks ago on the show. Uh, and talking about pod racers from episode one. So we asked you who your favorite pod racer from the Boon to Eve pod race was. And Jason, what did folks have to say?
2: Well, not too many responses, but um, I like the responses we got Uh, in third place with one vote each. We've got rats Tyrell and uh, my vote for Gaz Gano, uh, which was also Riley's vote, but I didn't put it in here because he voted on the episode um, two weeks ago. So, uh, and then in second place with two votes, we've got Ben Quadraneros. Um, oh, you know, there goes Ben Quadraneros, power capling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, lastly in first place with three votes, we had a uh, Sibulba, so, which I'm a little surprised he made the list that high, but I guess on the other hand, I'm not at all. yeah,
1: I mean, unless you were really into the the racer video game, um, I don't think you probably I mean, I shouldn't say definitely not, but I don't think you would know as much or as care as much about the pod racers. Right. Like, I I honestly don't. I mean, I picked Quadraneros just because I love his pod and I love that. I just think he looks like an adorable banana, um, like a wide banana. (laughs) So I just I love the look of him. I love the look of I, I love that he's got the, you know, the four pods. So um but yeah but Sabol was the only one that gets really flushed out, right? So um and and his you know that deep guttural of his engines is pretty cool. Yes. But I I will Um, say this, I'm surprised no one not at least one vote for Anakin.
2: (laughs) Poor poor local boy. (laughs) I mean I I think I think everybody's thinking of everyone besides Anakin. That's a good poll with how I took it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, no, I know. I picked Gasgano because I like his pod. Um, he's got the green engines with the sort of like vertical fins in the front of it. Um, and then I like his look, too. Like he's a very spindly guy uh, with forearms, arms and, you know. So you and
1: I like the force. Just just, a- I like four engines. You like four arms. <laughs> Imagine what Gasgano could do with Quadraneros's quad pod. <laughs>
2: Oh, if if it worked properly. Yeah. I'm sure it would be very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess, but I also like Gascano because he is the one who finished second in the Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu Eve classic. So, behind that's Anakin. Right.
1: That's right. Good point. Yeah. was dead last. Well, I, I guess Quadraneros is dead last. And the people that are dead. So, uh <laughs> <all> Right. Right.
2: <laughs> but Quadraneros <laughs> right. is technically last because he didn't even didn't even make it past the start line good point so yeah (laughs) yeah. i used to know the um the finish order of all (laughs) the finishers for the pod race um but i i have forgotten it i I know that anakin is first gasgano second and aldar Beto is third but i can't remember it after that so
1: i always liked the uh the guy that looks like an alligator oh dud
2: bolt yes
1: And Team Toe. I like Team Toe. He's got the little circle pod. Team Toe, Gets shot down by the Tuscans. Yeah. No, it's so funny you say that, Jason. I was literally – and this this will hopefully resonate with any of you who are getting older like us. Not that we're old, but older. Um, I was talking with Jazz about this, our buddy Jazz, about how like as we're getting older, like the little trivia things, the little details like that just seem to slip out of my mind. Um, Actually, my dad was in town visiting this weekend and, you know, he was he was talking to me about how he's an aerospace engineer and he was talking to me about how, uh, you know, in his in his mid 60s now, how much how much stuff is just kind of slipping out. He's like, you know, there's so many things that I used to be able to recall so quickly. And he's like, it just takes me an extra second now. He's like, it's like the brain is slowly slowing itself down. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I think that's true. Like the thing I equated that to was my Star Wars knowledge. I used to be able to tell you the name of everyone in the cantina. Um, I used to be able to tell you the name of everybody sitting on the council in Phantom Menace. I, I couldn't tell you probably more than five names in each of those lists now. Like it's just those details, slip from my mind. <laughs> so, I, I also yeah. we also have a lot more in our minds than when I was 12 years old, right? Like I could just yes. fill my mind with Star Wars, you know, do what I had to at school, but then just fill it with Star Wars. Whereas now it's, you know, life happens. <laughs> so
2: life does happen um life finds a way to get rid of some of that useless trivia um <laughs> yeah but no i I love it uh the the pod race is a fun thing, and you know uh, I think they're they're remastering it aren't they the, the video game. game i don't I know.
1: I mean, like I have it on my PS4 um, and they kind of like updated it a little bit, but I don't know about it being.
2: Remastered. Oh, no, they, they, they're coming. It's coming out on the switch, I think, is what I heard oh, okay. about it. Well, I don't have one of those. Is that what I heard? I don't know.
1: Mm, I don't know. I, so I, I, I kind of want one, but I, I have literally two. have thrown Racer on maybe 10 times since I got it years ago. Like it's fun to do a couple little races, but then I'm like, eh. I mean, if I pl- I feel like if I was racing with someone, it might be a little more exciting. But when I'm just sitting there like by myself. Yeah. So that's yeah. Jason's coming out to visit me um, uh-huh. uh, in like a couple weeks so we can celebrate 10 years of Wampus Lair together in person. Super excited for that. So, yeah. yeah. Bring your controller. <laughs> we'll play some Pod Racer. Um, Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we should talk some Bad Batch. We should. Um,
2: uh, where do you want to start? Uh, I guess from the beginning, probably. Yeah, well, but, um, I mean,
1: I just have some, like, so I have a list of, let me see how many things did I want to talk about? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Six. Um, So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read off something I I really like. And if you like it, we can talk about it too. And kind of just go from there if that works. And then anything anything I miss that you, you know, really want to talk about. Definitely tell me. So we talk about it.
2: We, we can do that. Um, so cool. All right. should we talk about the team first?
1: Oh, sure. That makes sense.
2: Let's do it. I mean, uh, and I'm sure specific characters will come up that we really want to talk about. But, uh, you know, obviously it's Clone Force 99. Uh, You got Hunter and Echo and Crosshair. um, Tech and oh, my gosh, why am I looking on Echo? Not Echo. No, the big guy. Oh, Wrecker. Wrecker. why yeah I couldn't remember his name for whatever reason but silly me um but yeah Wrecker. uh so and then you, we get introduced to Omega as a new character mm-hmm. so um yeah I like I like their dynamic I think it really works um throughout the whole series uh although of course you know crosshair kind of Gets cut out of <laughs> from pretty yes. quickly on
1: right, right, yeah, no. I mean, I remember a couple of folks were talking about it right, right, even before the show came out. After we got our first couple of trailers, and folks were like, "Oh, it seems like Ninja Turtles and Star Wars, right?" You know, you've got the the techy guy, probably someone who's who's got a temper, and you know, and it definitely didn't fit them to a T, which is probably a good thing. But yeah, like you have that team dynamic where you know, obviously, tech is. The science guy wrecker is just the guy that wants to blow stuff up <laughs> you know yep. uh, crosshair is the the kind of cold sharpshooter hunter is the leonardo leader character <laughs> and then yeah uh that's that's all of them right
2: Wrecker echo well
1: me- e- no i didn't mention echo because <laughs> echo i i will say this echo doesn't get enough you know, and I'm hoping that he'll get more in season two, but Echo is very much felt yeah. like a secondary character. I mean, it really felt like season one was the Omega Hunter show with crosshair. And then, you know, Wrecker, a little bit of Wrecker, but Wrecker um, tech and, and Echo, I would say, really play more supporting roles. They don't, they don't get nearly as much story as yeah. the other ones, which is okay. It's the first season. I think they wanted right. to grab us with that, that Hunter Omega dynamic. Um, which i 'm very okay with because I loved it um,
2: so yeah I, I I will say I think my favorite dynamic out of all the characters though is wrecker and omega um mm. because they 're like two peas in a pod they're they 're just a pair of kids, and they they get they get themselves into trouble because they 're having too much fun so uh, i I love that dynamic. Um, yeah. <laughs> running up a tab those sweet treats, right, I forget right. what they're called, yeah, I, I don't Sid remember. is keep of how many of those they get, and it's a <laughs> lot
1: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah they're I mean they have such
1: a sweet sibling relationship, I mean, it's funny because he's obviously so much bigger, but as we learn at the end of the the season, technically speaking, Omega's older than all of them, right, like she even says, like I right. was there when you were created, um so, but all the same, like she you know she kind of gets to be wrecker 's protector in a different way and and, and that, I love i mean it 's obviously only that it 's in the first you know story arc um but when they 're you know they 're fleeing Camino and she grabs his stuffed animal to give back to him right like it 's just a really tender moment where you know he 's very like Wrecker. he is just like a big kid, he just likes to smash things mm-hmm. you know. Um but he also has this really gentle side and, and and Omega uh you know yeah she really just seems to understand all of him. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: He, well, he is probably the, the the and I don't mean this rudely, but he is the most simple of the characters. Yeah. Um which, you know, it's kinda nice to have somebody like that. Uh right. although it is funny that they throw in the fear of heights. Uh, Two, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so. mean,
1: like that's. I mean, that's what Jar Jar was, right? In the prequels, like he's he's the simple character, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, no, yeah, uh, you know it, it, it. Yeah, it works really well. Works really, really well. Um, you know, my favorite dynamic, not surprisingly, is Hunter and Omega. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I love the there's a there was a tiny part of me after the first like after the first couple episodes I'm like okay so hunter and omega is basically din and grogu but that's okay like i i like this you know this uh but i i as i kind of rewatched some of the episodes the last couple of days i th- i almost feel like hunter is sort of a father figure but he's also just a big brother i mean i think that's the different in the dynamics is grogu is dependent on Din in a way that Omega is not dependent on Hunter um you know and 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 Hunter often seems to oh, as the season progresses like really does empower her to do more of her own thing right um so they always use the language you know whenever whenever they're talking about their connections it's always you know, Omega tells Hera that these are her brothers at the end of the season. She tells Crosshair, they're my brothers and so are you, you know, so like it, I don't think it's meant to be the exact same type of relationship. Um, no, as, as Din and is, yeah, Din and Grogu. Um, but yeah, I just, I love that the sweetness of the two of them, you know, and so many times when Hunter just kind of gets it wrong and in. Then he's, you know, he comes around to her, and the way like she'll run up and hug him, it's just, it's so sweet. Um, I love the interplay between the two of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's good. Um, I really do enjoy it, and uh, it is a similar dynamic to Din and Grogu, but not quite uh, because it, a Hunter, and I think one of the more interesting story threads between the two of them is Hunter trying to figure out how to interact and, uh, deal with Omega because, you know, she is a clone. She is, you know, like them in many ways, but she's also very much still a child. Mm. Uh, but being a clone means that she's, you know, their age at least, um, we find out that she's older. Uh, And she's also... uh, That should mean she's got training. Um, So it's a lot of like, how do I figure out, is this more of a parenting dynamic? But then he also falls into trying to make her a soldier sometimes and he's trying to struggle and find the balance a lot of times and usually it's he you know falls off on one side or the other uh and i don't think either one is bad uh because i can i think she does kind of want to be both you yeah. know uh, both works for her yeah but it is a very interesting sort of line that hunter has to walk with omega throughout the season and i think that's one of the more interesting through lines um, in terms of their character relationship that we get is how how do I view you? How do you fit with us? Am I just here to protect you, to make sure you've got a good life as a child? But then you're also a clone and we're soldiers, so does that mean you are a soldier? Kind of, but not really. So where's the balance then? Yeah. And, and that's an And I don't think they've fully figured that out, but they're a lot closer to it now than they were at the beginning. Absolutely,
1: yeah. No, good point. Um, yeah, and that's the thing is is you know even by giving us just that was it a three episode or four episode arc in the final season of Clone Wars that introduced Bad Batch? I can't remember if it was three or four, but Uh, four. It was four. Okay, so but that was enough to like establish them as a connected unit. And ultimately, the yeah. end of that arc is all about bringing in Echo, right? You know, let letting a reg into their ranks, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, like, even when the show starts, we already we already get a sense that you know these guys, the 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 original Bad Batch members, there, like they have they have found their footing together. And and this the season literally <laughs> opens with that. You know, as Kanan introduces that, oh here here comes our reinforcements, and then you just you know, you get that really awesome action sequence. So you just get to see how in sync they are. Um, so it yeah. is really about, you know, the emotional ang- anger of the season is really how does Omega fit into that? Um, and yeah. you obviously, I think that like you said, that the most constant through line is her evolving relationship with Hunter, but you do get a lot of her relationship with um, Wrecker as well. The, the sad thing is, is you get very little of her with tech or echo. Um, I mean, very little. So she gets more with crosshair yeah. and, and in the same way though, like she, she can voice to crosshair what the other ones can't seem to find words for, which is essentially like you're always going to be their brother, you know? Um, and right. we hope you come back.
2: So she's, she's, you know, part of the crew, but she's still a bit outside of the crew mm-hmm. and, um,
1: Yeah. And well, that's
2: why she's able to talk to Crosshair like that in a way that the rest of them can't bring themselves to do so.
1: Yeah. Well, Crosshair. What, what kind of clicked for me as I was rewatching a few things this this past week. Is that Crosshair is he reminds me a lot of Dogma from the uh, yeah uh, Pong Krell arc in Clone Wars, right? Dogma, who is so focused on following you know the letter of the law. He doesn't care about the spirit of the law, but only the letter of the law and.
2: I think view of the Jedi. Yeah. No, sorry. Um. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But the,
1: uh, I'm not like, they're not the same. Certainly not. um, But there's a similarity of um, being really committed to the, to the institution. Right. So uh, for dogma, that's like, I'm going to follow the grand army of the Republic to the T and, you know, crosshair really seems to come to this place where he does for him. Finding purpose moving forward as the Clone Wars comes to an end means I was bred to be a soldier. I'm a damn good soldier, so I'm going to continue serving the Empire because they're going to need good soldiers, right? And for right. him, it's just that simple. But the the other right. ones have really, you know, their eyes have been open to like, no, 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 no. The Empire is that like that's
2: not a good purpose. <laughs> so um, no,
1: and yeah,
2: no, it, it it's very interesting because. The, and, you know, big spoiler for the end of the season, but with Crosshair, you you think that most of that is, is definitely because of his inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. Because they're experimenting with it at the beginning, but then you find out, you know, that he's taken it out at some point. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I 100% believe him when he says that uh um i do because, because we didn't scar but there's the okay. scar
1: on the side of his head i think that's how they really solidify it
2: okay okay i guess i missed that yeah um but uh but they 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 leave that very uh up in the air until the very end and he's like no i took out my chip yeah. you know not you know a while ago and i i this is my decision yeah. And it's it's sort of like oh. Oh, you're actually a believer. Yeah. And that makes it interesting because you want to love him, you want to have him back. But his belief isn't going to let him walk away from what his path is right now. Yeah. So which makes it very interesting to see where that's going to go in season two, especially as clones are being phased out very rapidly, and I think that is a, a thing that surprised me early on in the show is that the clones are are almost shoved aside as soon as the dust settles from the you know the war with the separatists. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I want to talk about Omega for a minute because I do think she is okay. – I think she's the main character of this show. Um, yes. Know? And, you know, the, the – the, I liked Omega from day one from her very first hello. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. I mean there is something adorable about her, you know, and – uh, you know, a lot of folks really love cute Star Wars, um, and it, you know, goes all the way back to the Ewoks. Although I'd argue it goes all the way back to the Jawas, um, right? But there's there's always been this these little elements of cuteness in Star Wars. Um, you know, and Grogu took that to a whole new place. But now Omega is a different kind of cute. She's very sweet and innocent. Um, and to me she is she really does act as your archetypal star wars hero um, you know someone who 's introduced seemingly as an insignificant person, but then you quickly realize there 's something quite special about them you know, um, mm-hmm. you know it, it, she it 's in the same way that ahsoka is kind of the the main heroine of Clone Wars and Ezra is the main hero of rebels um and Luke in A New Hope, right? Like all of those, I feel right. like all their all their characters kind of start in the same place. They're kind of um, pulled away from less so with Ahsoka, but Ezra and Omega and Luke, I think, fit the bill pretty pretty strongly that they're they're pulled away from their their normal experience into something bigger than themselves. Um, and you know, uh, Omega's journey really begins with her understanding that her world is is coming apart you know, that there's something going on on Camino that, you know, things are changing rapidly and she wants to get out. She wants to get with the only brothers she really feels like she connects to. Right. That's, that's kind of her journey is, is she wants to to be with them no matter what. And that's, you know, that's, that's really what happens with her is, um, you know, she really commits to, uh, to those brothers of hers and wants to help keep them safe and, um, you know that's kind of what she's all about, and and I remember in the very first episode, well, the, again, I guess technically second episode, um, but when they're fleeing Camino and she shoots the gun out of Crosshair's hand, and they ask her like, "Wow, that was a great shot, kid." She's like, "It was my first time shooting a blaster." So my immediate thought after yeah. that first episode was, "Oh, she's probably force sensitive, and like she's going to be the prodigy of a Palpatine." But it's it was kind of cool to see that when they took that truth away because it's very clear she she and boba Fett are both direct you know clones of of jango although she's been tweaked with a tiny bit cuz she's a girl um right i think it's neat though because so that changes how that i interpret that scene cuz at first when it was like oh great another like mysterious force user like i love the force but it's like okay come on we just had that <laughs> so it was cool to yeah. <laughs> To, like, learn that it had nothing to do with it. It's, and to me, like, looking back on it now, it's like the reason she's such a dead eye shot in that moment is because she needs to be to protect Wrecker, right? Like, um, it's like I, she needs it, – it, it, kind of like Cheer it, wa- Not exactly the same, but like Cheer it walking out to the master switch. Nobody can hit him because he's so committed to doing this. She's so committed to saving Wrecker that it just, like, guides the blaster shot, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Well, here's the thing is she is a really fast study. You know, she sits there and she imitates and she watches, you know, uh, Hunter primarily, but she does that with all the rest. And so she's seen Crosshair shoot before. And so she just imitated that and was able to shoot the blaster out of his hand. Um, I think that's more than anything... You know, because they're all, you know, altered, mm-hmm. The these clones, altered in some way. And I think obviously, you know, part of what makes her special is the fact that she is a direct genetic replication of Django, just flipped genders. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, female instead of male. Um, but I also get the sense that she is a hyper fast learner because of that, too. Because whatever her, her, genetic you know messing with that happened especially since she's Lama or not Lama she's, uh Tan Nala Se's, um assistant on Camino. she's a fast she probably was programmed to learn f- very quickly mm. so that she could be the assistant and operate high you know difficulty calculations and you know cloning techniques and biological things like that I, I think that's part of what she she has as a skill set is just mm-hmm. incredibly fast learning. Yeah. Um and that's one of the things that makes her, you know, unique. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Well and I yeah, my my I think my favorite attribute about Omega in this is is episode two solidified my love of her when she picked up dirt and was fit like full of wonder she was like, What is this? <laughs> That would be dirt, yes
2: <laughs> you know um, she' has never been off Camino in her life, <laughs> yes,
1: yes, uh, you know, and you know it, it, her, she gets to see space for the first time, we get to experience her experiencing that when she meets Hera, mm. like you know the, connecting to another another person, her own age, um, same thing with cuts kids, you know when they when they go find cut, um,
2: yeah, you know she's cut. cut well since he left the army yes um yeah (laughs) um yeah you know i mean that's
1: that's an attribute of omega that i i certainly have such a fondness for
2: yeah it is you know it's nice to see that you know sometimes you forget she's a kid um but then when she gets to a new experience and she expresses that kind of wonder and amazement at you know new things and new people then it's like oh right she's still very young yeah you know yep. and and that's nice to see um I think it's a great uh, a great attribute that they worked into her character so yeah it, she was a character that I was I was a little guarded against at first because you know you're throwing a essentially a 12-year-old girl in with uh you know a bunch of hardened veterans you know like that's an interest that's a that's a very strange dynamic uh to begin with but it it worked somehow it worked and i think she's a great character and there are certain times. I, I, there are certain times that she says words. And I'm like, "That's a fun accent." Please don't ever change. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: <so. laughs> I love, I love the accent. That New Zealand accent is so good. It's really, yes. really good. Um, yeah. Uh, what's something else you really liked about this this first season of Bad Batch?
2: Um, I you know I'm going through and. And honestly, you know, you run the risk of because of the same creative team that brought us Clone Wars and Rebels and things like that, you run the risk of, you know, wrapping up too many stories from one or starting too many stories from the other. And they definitely do that in this. There are, you know, things from Clone Wars that are wrapped up or, or, or touched on. There are... Uh, seeds of Star Wars rebels that are planted here, um, you know, very early on uh, and stuff like that. But I thought they did it well. I honestly did. And, uh, you know, bringing back characters like Cut was was nice. That one made a lot of sense because he is, you know, a, a deserter and someone that is not on anybody's radar at this point. Um, But getting Fennec Shand brought in, Cad Bane made an appearance, Um, we went and saw the Syndulas on Ryloth, uh, which is obviously directly connected with with Hera and why she becomes uh, a rebel fighter in Rebels. So uh, that all was was very, very interesting to me, Um, and I felt like they... Sometimes it was a little heavy-handed. Like, while I love the episode and it was really amusing, the fact that the Bad Batch is rescuing Jabba's Rancor, Mm. uh, Mochi, Mm -hmm. uh, that we see in Return of the Jedi, it's a little, I mean, a little kind of on the nose, but it amused me. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) you know... um, but yeah, I, I think that was something I, I enjoyed. It was it was fun to see those connections being made, and it really definitely solidifies this show's place in the timeline, which mm-hmm. I think helps too. So, um, yeah, it's a crossover show, and yeah. in an area that in an area of time that we really kind of could use some explanation for. So,
1: yeah. Well, uh, not to be rude, I. I'll I'll push back against the we could use more. I don't think we need more. Like we know the empire takes over. So okay. you don't you don't need that flushed out. But I think we want it, right? True. I think that's the difference. So I'm yes. not trying to be a jerk here, but you know,
2: like it's it's well, you're, it, No, you're right. Yeah, you're right.
1: I, so I'll be I'll be a jerk here for a second and actually just say I I do think we need more stories about Han Luke and Leia post return of the Jedi. I do think we need that. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah. I think we both need and I want. So this is something that I don't know that we needed, but I definitely wanted to learn specifically. And here's the things that I really loved. I love how it really gives us some fleshing out of how the Empire comes to be, specifically the Stormtrooper divisions, right? So in in, in, in Bad Batch, we learn officially, canonically, how the clones are being phased out because Tarkin and the Imperial hierarchy, find it more beneficial to bring in recruits. They're cheaper. It's a lot cheaper than cloning. They're more dependable in a way, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't die in, in twice the speed, you know? Um, so, and it's also, I mean, again, there is that smart tactic of how do you, how do you get people to believe in your empire? Well, bring in the average person and let them know how great it is. Tell them that they're going to fight for the, the might of the empire. Um, and, you know, in a way, the, the really big approach. Opposition to the Emperor's rule was the Jedi and they're already pretty much gone. So you don't need like mm-hmm. these elite clone troopers anymore. You can get by with raw recruits. Um, you yeah. Know, so, I mean, we literally see the creation of the TK units. I mean, they talk about it um, in, in the show. And I think that's just... It's so cool to see that. I mean, I, one of my favorite now Legends novels is by uh, James Luceno, um, Dark Lord, Rise of Darth Vader, which came out in November of 2005. So, you know, a few months after Revenge of the Sith was out. And it actually explores right after Anakin becomes Darth Vader and, and, and kind of, you know, the Empire, exp- you know, starting to be created. It, it's, it's, you know, the, there's the part of the story where they... Enslave Kashik and the Wookiees, but there's also the story of Anakin becoming Darth Vader, which we do. We now have a new canon version of that in the comics. The Darth Vader comics are exploring immediately after Revenge of the Sith, um, but it was cool to see that on the show and just getting it more from the the, the galactic scale of seeing how this empire is being solidified. Um, you know, the, in the first yeah. episode, you have that great scene of them all standing in ranks as you know they're watching the the speech the Emperor gives as he creates the empire um, and they're cheering for it. Right. Like,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. It's
1: yeah. So it, it's yeah.
2: definitely, it, it, it's very interesting to watch the very fast shift from Republic to empire. The Republic is like, you know, shunted off to the side and gotten rid of almost Instantly, uh, in terms of at least in terms of the military, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a very fast change, almost you know whiplash inducing, uh, and it catches the clones by surprise, particularly you know you know uh, Squad ninety nine included, um, and and I think that's very telling. In how thought out and uh, planned out, uh, you know, Palpatine and Tarkin, to a lesser extent, had this going, you know, mm-hmm. um, and how far along they had been in their planning process before the uh, the Separatists fell and Palpatine took over as Emperor. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting. And I do like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It, 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 I definitely wanted to know more about that. So it, it was really cool, you know, getting it. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think again, to kind of just like continue with this, the connections tissue of, of the show. I, I think mm-hmm. what continually made me like bad batch was the way it, kind of honored and loved Attack of the Clones. You know, so you and yeah. I, Jason, obviously are very big fans of that movie and and, and I, I think we are we are far from alone in that. I mean, again, I think the prequel era fans are very much vocal about their love of this movie now. You know, I mean, when it first came out, it obviously came under a lot of flack, both in and out of the Star Wars community but, you know, as, as kind of children of the prequel era, you know, we, we love this movie and Bad batch really gives you know it just gives such a, a love for attack of the Clones. I mean all that time obi wan spends on Camino, and again, this is uh, not to totally sidetrack, but one of the things that I love about the prequels is it continued that theme of world building we got in the original trilogy again that's to me to the end of, at the end of the day that 's one of the biggest flaws to me of the sequel trilogy. there 's very little world building. we never really spend a yeah. lot of time anywhere. Um, and even if we do, nope. it's, it's it's not the space itself that ever really gets explored. The, debatably, Canto Bite, but that's the only one. Um, everything else is just there. Uh, so that said, like the, the time we got to spend with Obi-Wan on Kamino, it really felt like a, a, a central place. So and then the Clone Wars, right? I mean, we have... You know this massive TV show that is constantly taking us back to Kamino. So Kamino has this real strong anchoring for us as prequel fans. Um, and actually, I want to shout. I want to give this because something I loved, of course, in this show is the music. Kevin Kiner gives us continues to give us um, unbelievable Star Wars music. Um, so to even yeah. speak to that that love language for Attack of the Clones um, in the actual score. This is a track um, off the 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 volume two of the score. Secret Landing Pad, and check out this piece of music, Jason. Tell me if you recognize it. And of course, it's the Finding Camino piece from when Obi-Wan... Oh first finds camino doo, 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 doo. right the, the that crashing wave feeling of camino um the we, mystery
2: theme yes. almost
1: yeah and and they use that a couple of times in the the season finale you know when when we come to camino so again there's it's it's that reminder that this is a a place from the prequels um and another great thing it does cuz you know like like you kind of pointed out, Jason, which, which was really poignant is that this does connect different stories. So it really does start to do some groundwork for connecting Clone Wars to Rebels, you know, the two big animated projects from from Star right. Wars. And you know, uh, as, as Kamino is being destroyed, which I, I want to talk a little bit more about in a second here, but as it's being destroyed, we're going to get a statement of the Clone's theme. The Clone's theme from the Clone Wars... TV show Um, and this is again in volume two of the the Bad Batch soundtrack it's the track Collapse this is at about three minutes into the track we're going to get a very sorrowfully slow played version of the clone theme so let's check this out real quick Uh, you know, it, it's a very quick hint of the clones theme, but it's it's played so sorrowfully and it sets into this very sorrowful music. We even get a quick quick lick of a piece from Revenge of the Sith, which is being played when Obi-Wan and Yoda learn about the truth of what happened at the temple. So, you know, it's kind of brilliantly pulling in those old themes. Um, yeah. Th- to to really show that appreciation of the, what the prequels brought to the star Wars saga. Um, and I don't know about you, Jason, but like watching Camino get destroyed was, was pretty brutal. Like it's, you know, we get those beautiful shots with the sad music of, of all the different halls we've seen before. We see the the mess hall. We see the cloning tubes themselves. We, we see all these places we visited both in attack of the clones and several times throughout the TV show right and then it gets destroyed and and to like my kind of interpretation of this is you know camino is a very white space right like everything is clean and sterile and hospital like but it's also white is the color of you know in art it's often the color of purity so it's it, to me it's almost like this representation of the purity of the prequel to era has been destroyed right like it's it's literally being yeah. the, the anchor to that those glory days of the prequel era and before are, are coming loose as Camino is destroyed.
2: Yeah. No, it it's Honestly, um this was probably my favorite subplot was everything going on with uh Camino uh and the Kaminoans and their sort of uh, plotting um you know, trying to uh, figure out their place within the new Empire. Um, and and their sort of like, you know, off to the side involvement and everything going on with Clone Force 99. Uh, this was definitely my favorite of the subplots. And throughout the Clone Wars, you know, you, you're kind of just, you know, introduced to the Kaminoans in episode two. They're very much sort of a very stoic, very uh, sterile race. They don't really have, you know, very much in the way of emotions. They're just there for business uh, and that sort of thing. And then as we, you know, meet them in the Clone Wars, they, uh, you know, are a bit more, more like that. But as we get towards the end, they get a bit more kind of devious, especially as we get into the stuff with... um with fives at the uh, in it the lost missions um, season, uh, where he starts realizing what's going on with the, um, the chip, the yeah. inhibitor chip, and everything yeah. like that, they almost get you know kind of devious and a bit you know on on your bad list, and they kind of start that way too um, in the show. But over the course of things, as you see them continuously, kind of. Shunted off to the side and then just tossed aside by the Empire, you start to feel bad for them. Um, You know, Tan Wee is shot by Fennec Shan.
1: Yeah.
2: She's dead. Mm -hmm. Um, Lama Su is at the very least arrested for treason. Yep. Um, Maybe he's dead. I don't know. They just had two soldiers approaching him and the doors closed. Yeah. That's Star Wars language. Uh, No, I. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So at the very least, he's arrested for treason. At at worst, he's he's dead too. Uh, Nala Say is the only Kaminoan that we know that is still alive, and that's because she has a useful skill to the Emperor. Yeah, because she's the head cloner. So, (laughs) so yeah. And then the whole city, Topoka City, is just decimated absolutely and completely decimated and uh that is weirdly heartbreaking Mm -hmm. you know because it is a very sterile place you know you don't expect to make connections to a place that is just white lines and sanitation you know it's but it is a place that you know we as fans have easily come to recognize. It's from the movies, uh, expanded on in the TV series, and now is just completely destroyed. And so that if, if anybody goes back to that place, after this point in the timeline, you're going to have the destruction of Topoka City there. You know? Um, will they be able to rebuild? Is that the end of the the Kaminoan race, as a, you know, generally speaking... Uh, you know, other than a few outliers, um, are there other cities? I would assume there's a few other cities, but that's definitely the capital. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting question, and it was weirdly heartbreaking to see it just all fall to pieces. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so there's some that I think. Yeah that I think that whole storyline there I think is really the one of the things that surprised me about this show and one of the things that I really loved it um loved about this show. Yeah. So.
1: I love one of the shots. It's in the the you know, second to last episode of the season though, when the venerators are shooting down and you even see some shots of the blast going under the water and literally shooting through the supports that kept it you know, grounded to the, yeah. to the bedrock of the seafloor. And it's like, yeah, like this is being. I mean, it's like, it's, this is pulling out that those good times by the root, <laughs> you know, the empire is here yeah. and things are never going to be good again. <laughs> um, I mean, understood right. in a way. Um, yeah. Um, and and that actually leads me to the next thing. I just kind of want to give a, a quick nod and tip of the hat to, which is again, just how good the animation is. Um, how cinematic yeah. the animation is, and this was something from again the very first episode it I was just like this is so good and this is this is what Lucasfilm has kind of always been about when when George was there. it was always push the technological envelope you know, and I think this is debatably some of the best looking computer animation ever <laughs> you know they 've really uh, you know, as, as I, I was doing some Clone Wars rewatching uh, last week as I was getting ready to to read Dark Disciple and watching some Asajj Ventress episodes and some of the you know, I watched a couple episodes from like season two and season three and I'm just like, wow, this looks so bad compared to Bad Batch. And, and again, like it was yeah. great for its time and every single season of Clone Wars is is, you know better than it's at its predecessor so it's just really cool to see yeah. the way they push that envelope um because i think that's just such a staple of what star wars does um and th- the way that they shoot so many scenes i love the wide camera angle shots you know those star wars right like yeah. george lucas was always adamant about the film language being that of a documentary right he uses a lot of wide angle shots um
2: yeah something i don't think before he- you on, the, the, on what the specifics, you
1: know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I would say the only Star Wars director who doesn't seem to have learned how to do that well was J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Ryan Johnson perfects it in Last Jedi. Like he has so many beautiful wide shots. Um, Force Awakens has a couple. Rise of Skywalker a couple. Um, but all that to say, this this season has t- tremendous wide angle shots. And the two that stick out most to me is from the first episode when Kanan and Hunter on the opposite sides of that gorge. And then the coolest one to me, one of the coolest shots I think in star Wars is this straight out of a Western scene of the, the blaster duel between Cad Bane and Hunter. You know, you have that shot of them standing opposite each other and it's just like, wow, that is such a cool shot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now there's some really good stuff. The, um, the shot with uh Caleb Doom or Canyon uh across the gorge from Hunter look uh, that was so much uh inspired by uh, at least in my opinion it looked to be inspired by the shot of hair uh, of Ray and Kylo standing across their chasm as it split apart on Starkiller base so yeah It was, it, it had that sort of tone to it Mm -hmm. um, and it looked cool. Yeah. So yeah, the the cinematography and the music of this show is top notch. It is the, it is 100% top notch stuff. I love it.
1: Yeah. Well, since you brought up music, I just want to, I want to point out two of the themes, (laughs) you know, Uh, and, and, The first one I'll just hit on quick is Omega's theme itself, Uh, Jason. As you know from all these years of podcasting with me, my favorite pieces of Star Wars music and just music in general are slow pieces, right? Like the more romantic pieces. So, you know, we get two. We basically get two big themes from the first season, which we get the Bad Batch theme and the Omega theme. And I far prefer to me. it's, It's a Phantom Menace dilemma. You know, Duel of the Fates is awesome. But I prefer Anakin's theme, you know, and Bad Batch theme is awesome, but I prefer Omega's theme. <laughs> so I just, again, love those kind of softer pieces. Um, but Omega's theme is it, it, kind of the feel of it reminds me of um, Anakin's theme in it, its its ability to capture kind of just this sweet, innocent feeling. Um it also reminds me a bit of Ezra's theme, you know. Again, kind of an overlap in, in these types of characters. Again, um, but yeah, Omega's theme is just really, really beautiful, um, and it's used a tremendous amount throughout the season. It's it's very much the 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 primary oxygen of season one. I think we hear Omega's theme more than the Bad Batch theme, in all honesty. Um, but I want to go to probably this, yeah. I just want to go to this one part of her theme that really gets played a lot and it kind of captures the determination of this character. Yeah, so, I mean... We're going to hear Omega's theme a lot throughout the season, but it does just like it's it starts so sweet and innocent and just like pure. But it kind of then progresses into this very heroic theme, this theme of really clear determination. Um, And for me, Omega's determination is to keep to keep her family together. Um, So and I think that's what makes her heroic uh, to me. And I think her theme
2: perfectly captures that. Um, What do you think of her theme? You enjoy it? I, I mean, I do, but it's it's something I'm not overly familiar with because I, I honestly didn't realize the soundtrack was out until you told me yeah, yeah. on this show. <laughs> so I, I I I have immediately gone to my iTunes and purchased them both. So I will be listening to them tonight. <laughs> They're uh, very good. They're uh,
1: very very good.
2: So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a I'm late to the party on Bad Batch, guys. I'm sorry, but I'm catching up, and it's amazing. So uh but yeah i i i enjoyed the music as it um you know as i experienced the episodes but i haven't had a chance to like actually sit down and process the music outside of the show yet so uh, i'm still picking out you know what's what so but feel free to go ahead and talk about the uh the themes here and i'll just hmm, i'll catch up later (laughs) (laughs) Well the, well, the only other
1: big one, like I said, is the Bad Batch theme. And, and there is a little bit of a – again, I don't have any formal training in speaking about music intelligently. So again, I apologize for that. I've, I've learned a lot from listening to David W. Collins, but uh, I I'm, I'm still, still have so much to learn. But that said, that said, there's something about the Omega theme that it does – both Omega's theme and the Bad Batch theme to me musically really have this sense of determination. You know, um, mm-hmm. I would say for Omega, um, the determination that her theme puts forward again is this one that 's determined to keep the family together. For me, the bad batch theme, the determination embedded into that piece of music is them determined to continue being heroes in a new way. How do they find new their new purpose as heroes in an in a ever changing galaxy? Um, So to kind of highlight that point, I just want to we had the Bad Batch theme first given to us in the final season of Clone Wars on that soundtrack. And I'm going to play both Mm -hmm. of them really quick just because they are both played at different tempos. The Bad Batch theme, it's it's the exact same piece of music, same notes and all of that. But it's the tempo that's very different. So just really quick, let me play for you the way it is played in the Clone Wars TV show. So we get the we get like that that really cool hero theme you know in Clone Wars, but it 's played at a much more martial tempo right it's It starts with you know very snare drum heavy this is soldiers marching to war there 's a there 's an organizational feel to it it 's a very steady you know one step and you know one foot in front of the other like this is a this is a soldier 's march this is a heroic soldier theme um, And it stays the same. Again, musically, it's the same notes. It's the same melody um, in Bad Batch. But just notice the tempo as I play this. Notice how much quicker it goes for the Bad Batch show. It's so much faster. The tempo is so, so, so much faster, and I love it. Um, So, again, any of you who listen to the show who are more musically intelligent than than we are, I I always appreciate when folks reach out and kind of give me the language that I don't know how to speak. Um, So if if you're listening, and you can speak to what that actually, you know, the definition of all that tempo stuff. I, I always appreciate it. But just again, like any of us can hear it. You can hear the tempos are different. It's a slow, steady march in Clone Wars because they're part of an army. They have their purpose, everything's determined. And the reason I love the way they speed up the tempo for the Bad Batch show is because they're on the run, right? The whole, a lot of the season is about them kind of being fugitives from the Empire. They're on the run, and as they're on the run, they're trying to, you know, find a new way to find their purpose in the galaxy. Outside of the Grand mm-hmm. Army of the Republic, because that doesn't exist anymore. So they're the same heroes right. that fought in, you know, that 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 fought in that heroic war. But now they have to find a new space in the galaxy. So I I just love how musically speaking, Kevin Kiner gave us that over over the two different shows. Like that's that's just I mean that's just storytelling music, baby.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing because they do have to figure out. what their new place in the world is in the universe is because all they know is to be soldiers is to be these, you know, uh, highly specialized, uh, highly trained special forces. That's all they know how to do. Uh, now that their job is gone, how do they take those skills and do something else with it? And what should they do with it? Um, Especially, you know, for the likes of Hunter and the other Bad Batch who are not in agreement with the Empire um, on how they do things. You know, does that mean they fight against it? Does that just mean they try and lay low uh, and, you know, find a way to survive on their own? What does that mean? You know, obviously, uh, those questions have come up a little bit already and I'm sure will be continued to explore next season uh particularly um as the atrocities of the empire start mounting up mm-hmm. um but it is definitely uh you know when when you're trained for one thing and that one thing is taken away what do you do <laughs> you know <laughs> what do you do next is a big question and something that you know, you know. Uh, I'm not sure they've had a lot of time to sit down and think about, mm-hmm. but it's definitely on a on their mind. Definitely Hunter's mind for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah.
1: and you, you may know this better than I, Jason. Um, there's that episode in Rebels. I can't remember which season. I want to say season three. Um, again, my rebels knowledge is pretty lacking, but there's that one episode where they stumble across an old separatist base and they, you know, they fight battle droids and everything. And they talk to that, you know, droid command unit. That's like, that makes no sense that we lost the war. Like we had all the numbers, we had all the advantages. How did we lose? And I, I'm pretty sure Rex is in that episode and it finally fully dawns on Rex that he was just a pawn in the emperor's game. Right. And how heartbreaking that was to learn. Um, you know, in, yeah. in an interesting parallel, right? Like George Lucas wrote the original Star Wars movies with Vietnam on his mind, right? The Vietnam War was still raging as he sat down and wrote this, right? A very, very publicly protested war in the States. And yet, when soldiers came home, Right. A lot of times you had these people that just absolutely demonized them, which was terrible because so many of them were just young kids that were drafted. Right. They never wanted to be there that they just they got pulled out of their own will. And it's it's not the exact same, but the clone troopers were literally created to just do that one thing. So how do you find a purpose when you, quote, come home from that? Right. When when that like you said, Jason, when that purpose is obliterated and taken away, you have to figure that out. And, and there are so many, you know, I mean, I obviously have no experience of this and, um, but I was actually watching a really good documentary series on September 11th. And they talked a lot about the Afghan and Iraqi war. And a lot of the young vets that were on that talked about like how hard it was to come home, right? How hard it was to come home and figure out who to be in the world now after seeing so much terrible things. Um, right. And I, I think there's a little bit of that overlap with some of these uh, clone troopers here, you know, specifically with the bad batch crew and specifically with crosshair, right? How do you, how do you determine what's best when the only thing you've ever been told that you are valuable for is no longer there? Um,
2: Right. Yeah, it it is interesting. And um, I don't think any of them, well, it's, it's also kind of interesting that, as we are talking about this because Hunter is basically Rambo and Rambo is a movie all about that. Mm. Um, You know, it's all about coming home from Vietnam and not having a place anymore. Um, So uh, it is, you know, it's a very interesting thing and I'm sorry, I just blanked on my point, but Oh, crosshair. Um, It's interesting because most of the Bad Batch have kind of a general sense of duty to each other that's carrying them along for now. Mm-hmm. They have that. That yes. brings them together. They're them together. Crosshair doesn't. Crosshair only has the system. The yeah. system is changing around him, but he is still dedicated and devoted to the system, and so he will follow the system to whatever point it takes him. And that is a very lonely road to walk. Yeah. Um, Obviously, as we have seen, because it has taken him away from Clone Force 99. Uh, And he's even ostracized amongst his own, I guess, now peers uh, in the Imperial Army because he is a clone. And that is considered inferior uh, in many ways by the new troops. So even though he trained many of them uh, or helped train many of them. So, yeah, it's a a very interesting situation and something that uh, as we get further and further away from the end of the Clone Wars, I think they're going to have to really kind of sit down and figure out, um, you know, in a much more personal way for each of them, like, what's next. Because obviously we have clones like Cut LaQuain who left early and he's created his own life and Family, and you know, now they're off in the galaxy away from Selucumai, uh, and who knows where they'll go next, but he's got that purpose. Mm -hmm. But, um, and Hunter is trying to emulate that with his crew, but you know, it's not easy and it doesn't come natural to him, so, um, yeah, yeah, it's a very very interesting set of circumstances and one that hasn't been fully answered yet. And I think will still be played out in subsequent seasons.
1: Yeah. Well, and going back to something I mentioned earlier, I think again, echo was really underserved in this season and he, especially, Mm -hmm. I feel like even more than the rest of the bad match, because they were always kind of the misfits, right? So, it's a little bit of a different narrative for them to figure out. Whereas for echo echo was a reg, right? Like he was part of the regular army for a long time. So, and he's also recovering from the, the terror of what happened to him at the hand of the separatists. And like, that didn't get touched on at all. (laughs) Like that was such a, that was, and I would say it was a missed opportunity if that was the only season of bad batch. But again, we're going into a second season and I'm sure there'll even be more than that. So I'm sure they're going to touch on it, but Um, You know, I think this is a very big salient point that I really want them to continue fleshing out in in season two, which, again, I'm sure they will. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Jason, the there's one last little thing I just want to shimmy it in there before maybe we raise some of our questions that season one gave us. Um, and, And obviously, feel free to share anything else you've got. But I just want to make sure I shout out the Marauder, their ship. I love Star Wars ships, and again, it continues that theme that was started with the Millennium Falcon, right? It's, It's our home in space. Um, the Falcon is yep. the safe haven for our heroes in the original trilogy. That's what the ghost was in Rebels. That's why I love g- the ghost. And that's exactly what the Marauder is. It's it's what Razorcrest was before it got obliterated. <laughs> um, right? So spaceships often serve as these home spaces in Star Wars. So I love that the uh, Marauder gave us that. And literally they give us, um, Omega her own little bedroom. It's an adorable scene. Um, as she, as I, they literally I give her a it. home space. Yeah.
2: I, I loved that, you know, Wrecker, Wrecker is, I forget what it is that, that set him off to that, but then he kind of just goes off by himself for the whole episode, and you find out at the end that he's been building a bedroom yep. for, <laughs> for Omega the whole time, and so cute. It's, it's the most adorable thing because it's like, I made this for you, please like it from wrecker and then she's just in awe that they would even yeah. think about doing something like this for her yeah um obviously it it's also the gun turret so when they have to fight um you know somebody tromps into her bedroom essentially right. and uh, has to <laughs> you know fire the cannon yeah yeah but that's that's what you have to do when your home is a ship the size of a you know, five hundred you know, a thousand dollar apartment in New York City. So
1: right. um. I know and I'm I'm always <laughs> I'm super curious. I, I just I love home spaces, like I love my home, I love going to other people's homes, like I, I love that feeling of being at home. And I am just so curious mm-hmm. where they the rest of the crew sleeps on the Marauder, because it's 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 essentially just like a, a oh. covert stealth like drop ship it's not it's not a freighter like the falcon or the you know the ghost so i i guess they probably just have like fold out bunks you know so omega is the only one I, that like has yeah. a room you know right
2: yeah I, and I, I yeah they've got bunks or they pass out in the chairs the command chairs or whatever i would imagine you know but they're used to that that's right. you know yeah that's life yeah uh for them but you know omega she's uh, you know one, still a kid in a way, um, and two, is, uh, a new person who, who lived a very, very different life from them. So they wanted to make her feel special and welcome, especially since she chose them rather than leave to go with Cut LaQuain, and his family. So,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I like, I really like that episode because Cut, um, Cut kind of questions their decision a little bit, uh, but he's definitely fallen into his soldier training in order to protect his family. But Sue, I've always loved Sue, uh, his wife, um, and the fact that she's like, We'll take care of her, but are you sure? You know, she, I think she straight up asks Hunter, Are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure this is the right choice for her? Mm -hmm. And he, kind of hems and haws and says it's the only choice for her, which is not true, because she you know, runs through a firefight to get back to them, so <laughs> yeah, but yeah I've always loved Sue, she's a she's a great character
1: mm-hmm. yeah, well that, the deserter episode in Clone Wars, which I believe is in season one maybe season two, do you know? Is it season one or two? It's, it's early, season I know that in two, okay, that's it's, one of it's, my
2: it's like yeah, first half of season 2. Yeah. So,
1: that's one of my favorite Star Wars Clone Wars episodes. It's so good. So, it was so cool getting to see them again.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's cool to see that uh the kids have grown up a little bit too. So. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, a- any other big season 1 things you wanted to hit on?
2: Um Well, I guess it's just sort of sort of a, um an interesting aspect. Uh the the tension we haven't really talked about it much, but the Ryloth episodes um where obviously mm-hmm. we we really kind of jump start a bit of what we end up seeing in Rebels. But the more interesting thing about that to me was that I want to bring up right now is still the the animosity and the tension between Ornfree Ta and Shamsundula, you know, which is something that was uh a big Stumbling block initially in the Clone Wars episodes as to why Mace Windu had to go seek Cham out and you know beseech his help um, because Ornfri Ta and Cham Syndulla did not see eye to eye and Ta is very suspicious of anything Syndulla likes, obviously because he's jealous. Um, and then he he gets used. He's a very he's a very high ranking senator who is one hundred percent on board with how things are going because. It benefits him. And that's all he cares about. Uh, And he's a big, loud mouthpiece for whoever's in charge and whoever's keeping his pocketbooks full. And it's the Empire right now, but he's used and killed in order to frame Chams and Dula so that he no longer will be a threat. Um, Which I just found was a really interesting... Way the way that they handled that, yeah, I mean I'm not the way the episode was playing out. I'm not surprised they killed Orn frieta, but it was interesting how kind of the split between Cham and Orn frita was happening again um in this episode uh, and 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 that stuff to me the you know some of that sort of political uh you know storytelling there was very interesting to me because i find the the politics of the clone wars kind of fascinating on some levels so (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah um no that's that's a really cool insight and in the ryloth episodes as well right we have a clone commander who also is going to resist orders right um Mm -hmm. he he, uh, this has nothing to do with Jedi. It's not an inhibitor chip per se thing. It's just, again, choosing what's right. And he doesn't see, see this as the right thing to do. And he, he essentially leads a little rebellion. And then they all get gunned down, I'm pretty sure, or at least arrested. Um, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's – again, that's that's another touching on how are the, the clones going to respond to this as well, right? How mm-hmm. are they going to respond to these things? And, you know th- – I'll go back to one of the – I would argue one of the best arcs of Clone Wars, which is the Pong Krell arc. It's all about the clones standing up for themselves against the system, right? That they're not going to do this just because they're ordered because sometimes there's – sometimes orders are wrong and you have to disobey them. Um, and
2: yeah. Plus your crosshair. Good right. soldiers follow orders.
1: Right. Or dogma in that in that other arc, right? Right. Um, right. Yeah, it well and to kind of piggyback off the the point you're making with Ryloth, I'll just mention too there's that one episode I think it's called Common Ground where they essentially go to a separatist planet to to help break out one of the separatist senators. Yeah, and um you know, it's neat to see that like these were the separatist planets that are now going to be ruled by the empire. They're going to disdain them even more. And, and and that's where Cassian comes from, right? Cassian was, uh, fighting with the separatists against the clones until the empire came. And then he just switched, switched enemies, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some, some sort of look at that in his series next year, the Andor series. Um, so yeah. right. the, I feel like the separatist planets are going to be the ones that are probably going to put up the strongest resistance first because they were already resisting. Um, it's, more, right. it's more of a shock and a discomfort when you are part of the rebellion and this is what's happening. <laughs> so yeah. um, So it was cool that we kind of got to see both of those aspects, those political aspects too, right? Ryloth was mm-hmm. part of the Republic. And what was the name of the other planet, Jason?
2: raxus prime which was the capital of the separatists
1: oh wow okay yes there you go right so very different uh two different types of planets so
2: that's the planet that padme's senator friend uh was from the one that got assassinated um right uh lux Bonteri's mother yeah so yeah yeah so um so some cool crossover there too
1: yeah yeah
2: so, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Well, anyways, I think that's yeah, all yeah. I've got. Cool. Um,
1: yeah. And again, I mean, from this, right, this is us looking back on something that is, has been over for a little bit now, but, um, I actually, I honestly, Jason, like this was, I, I enjoy like just talking about these big generalizations, you know, I don't, I don't feel the, always the need to do a, a week by week and there's so many good podcasts that do week to weeks. Um, so, right. You know, uh, but yeah, I loved looking back on it. So I, I'm going to kick it off because I really only have one big question. Because the other things I've kind of already alluded to, which is, um, so I'm just going to cover them quickly. Which essentially, what's next for Crosshair? Um, where are we going to go with him? And then the other, the other thing that I'm interested in is, you know, exploring a little bit more of how the the reg clones, you know, are going to react to the the rising probably atrocities of the Empire. So again, we've gotten some windows into it, specifically in the Ryloth arc. Um, but those are a couple things I'm definitely excited to see. Um, but I want to... I, I, well, I guess there's two... So my two big ones, and then I'll shut up because I've been talking a lot. I apologize. Um, my two big ones, <laughs> my, the biggest one that jumps to mind is, is will we ever see Omega and Boba Fett meet? Because he's Alpha, she's Omega. Are they ever going to meet? Could that possibly happen live action in the book of Boba Fett? I don't know. Um, it'd be cool to see what sort of relationship they would develop if they did ever meet. Um so that's my one big one. And my other big one would just be again, like I've insinuated a couple times throughout today's episode, but uh I want to continue exploring how the Bad Batch characters are responding to what's going on. You know, not just Hunter yeah. and Crosshair. I I want to learn more about Wrecker and, and tech and, and specifically Echo. So um Yeah. So those are kind of my no. big questions.
2: I, I like those questions. The you know, the idea of alpha and omega meeting is definitely an interesting one. Um, I mean, I for me going forward, I think the big questions I have are really just sort of like what's next, because it is kind of just an unknown area um it's the rise of the empire how does the empire you know continue to to take its power and what does a band of renegade clones do in that situation because it is you know it's very uncomfortable they are they're off the reservation so to speak uh they are you know they're wanted by the empire if anybody sees them uh but they're not necessarily out to fight against the empire at this point either. You know, they're not going to join up with Shamsun Dula uh, and, you know, form a rebel cell right now. Uh, maybe not ever, you know, but what do they do? You know, I, I think that's kind of the biggest question now, especially in light of the fact that Camino is gone. Um, you know, what do they do? You know, how do they continue on in this new world? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just very curious about that. And I'm very curious to see how the characters individually of themselves, you know, address those issues. So mm-hmm. I think Omega is the one who's most equipped for new circumstances and new um, you know, modes of life and living and and that sort of thing. She's very adaptable to situations, uh, and obviously, the other the others are very skilled in what they can do. Um, but they're very they're still very rigid in moving outside of that skill set. Mm-hmm. And really interesting to see if they find a place to settle down that's not Sid's. No, the back of Sid's bar. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, and will they find a bigger purpose other than just you know being mercenaries and making money for Sid? So,
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I, I have two minds of that. I, I love the way you put that, Jason. Will that you know will they find a bigger purpose than just kind of being your run of the mill mercenaries? And again, that was that was something to just kind of compare it to Mandalorian. Mandalorian when it was first announced, you know, I was I was trepidatious because I was like, oh, is it just going to be a show about like a gray gray character who just goes around sometimes killing and sometimes not. And they quickly gave that show a heart, right? Um and mm-hmm. and, and I I purposely love when they do that because I think Star Wars as a modern myth. Mythologies are always about meaning making. They're about you know helping us understand who we are in our place in the world. So I think that that's a brilliant space to continue to explore and and I would say a very star warsian thing to explore is what is the bad batch's purpose, right? Because as as part of this grand myth, they have to now find their their meaning, their who they are in this changing world. You know, does that mean they have to join the rebellion? Maybe. Does it mean they can do something else? Absolutely, you know. Um, you know, it makes sense that Rex ends up joining the rebellion. It totally makes sense that Rex does. I would actually like to see the bad batch folks not join the rebellion. Um, So, right. Like they've been compared to the a team a lot, right. That old TV show from the eighties, the a team were a bunch of, I think most of them are Vietnam vets who are trying to make sense of their life in, in the States again. And what do they do? They're essentially, Mercenaries for good, right? They just go around helping people using their skill sets. I'd be very okay with that's who the bad batch just kind of settles into that role. Like, Kind of what the ghost crew initially was under, you know, in Kanan's mind is they were never meant to be part of a rebellion. They were just there doing their small part to help the little guy. You know, it makes me think of Spider-Man Homecoming. You know, he, he, he chooses not to become Avenger, an Avenger at the end of the movie, but instead wants to go back and be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Maybe that's who the Bad Batch is, the friendly neighborhood Bad Batch, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Huh. I guess the one last question I would have is crosshair. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You you mentioned it earlier, but yeah. like, does he reach a breaking point with the Empire? Does the Empire break him? You know, and, you know, does he become even more conformed to their system? Um, will he ever rejoin with the Bad Batch? I, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, at the, at the, I think it's, in, it's one of the last two episodes when Hunter says to Crosshair, you know, you'll never be anything but a number to them. So, right. You know, you you don't matter as a person. And, and that's again, like Crosshair, I think, is definitely hiding behind something there because he's like, you know, this is what we were made for. This was our purpose, blah, blah, blah. He, he never gets offended when somebody calls him CT fill in the blank, right? I don't know all their numbers, but Clone Wars was very adamant about the fact that all these troopers had names, right? That they are individuals. I mean, that's the very first episode of Clone Wars ambush, right? With Yoda telling them, take your helmets off. You know, you might be clones, but in the force, you are all unique. Um, so, right. you know, for whatever reason, Crosshair trying to pretend like he's he's not Crosshair, but he's just CT, whatever the numbers are, right? Um, right. And in the other the other members of Bad Batch really believe in... No, I'm Hunter, I'm Wrecker, I'm Tech, you know, like I'm a, perp- I'm a person. I'm a person and my name is Anakin. So, <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Beat me to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, yeah. So very interesting dynamics. I'm really loving the show and I'm very excited for season two.
1: You and me both. And I think you are uh, – I think you're going to spend some time, I imagine, the rest of this week listening to some of this great music. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to start almost immediately when we're done with the podcast. So <laughs> Excellent. Ah,
1: Excellent. Yes. I think you're going to love it. Um, I know I will. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's such good music. So, well, that said, I think that's going to wrap up our, our general review of season one of Bad Batch. Um, and before we go, of course, we have a poll for you that's very relevant to this particular topic. And, Jason, what yes. do we want to know from all our fellow Larians?
2: Well, it's a very simple question, but that may have a very complex answer. Uh, who is your favorite character from the Bad Batch? Your favorite member of the Bad Batch, I should say, right? Yeah. Are we? Yeah. So, uh, well, and I, we are. i no, including I. Yes, Bad
1: Batch, I, right? I actually, to me, I. I Who's your favorite character from the Bad Batch show? Like it, it can be anybody. It doesn't. It could be Sid. It could be, you know. I mean, I can't kind of doubt true. it. But you know, anyone, anyone that was introduced in Bad Batch. Like I, I wouldn't count Fennec Shand. I wouldn't count Can Bane. Right, those were existing characters. So any new character yeah. to Bad Batch, I, I would say is is fair game. I'd be surprised if it's a lot of folks outside of the Bad Batch itself, but. Um, but hey, hey, maybe you love Sid. <laughs> so, you know, she's got that she's got that like classier were her energy, you know, from the Cantina and a New Hope. She she ain't going to kick out any <laughs> droids. <laughs> so
2: she, she's like a crotchety version of Dexter Jetster.
1: Yes. So. Yeah. Oh,
2: Dexter. Oh, what a what a gent. What a gent. I'd love to see him again somewhere (laughs) along the line. He knew
1: the Kaminoans. I want to know about that. I want to know how he knew them and I want to know how I still want to know the story between him and and Obi-Wan. I want to see how they became buddies.
2: Yes. Kaminoans. They're cloners. Damn good ones too. Cloners? (laughs) Are they friendly? Well, depends. Depends on what decks? On how good your manners are. How big your uh, pocketbook is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and with that nod to uh, Attack of the Clones, Carl, how can people yes. weigh in on our matchup or anything that we discussed this episode? Yeah.
1: And, you know, as always, with anything like this, uh, we always love when you share your thoughts about, you know, any new Star Wars project. So um, whether it's just to tell us who your favorite bad batch character is or even just what you loved about season one of bad batch get in touch with us at twitter at wampas lair we're on instagram at the underscore wampas lair and of course you can email us at wampas lair podcasts at gmail.com
2: anything else before we close down this episode carl i think that'll do it my friend Excellent. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 437, The Bad Batch. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair.